Well, choir, I know that y'all have a number of folks who are out today, but it sure didn't sound like it. So thank y'all for that gift today. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Remain seated. You'll find the text in your notes, but also on the screen. And then you're going to need to have your copy of God's Word, because we're going to look at the verses just prior to this. So let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. I remember my first Sunday here. Some of you all might remember that as well. I sat right over there. Uh, there wasn't enough room in the building for me to even have a full seat. I was on the edge of my seat not because I was uh, nervous, but because there was literally no place for me to, uh, to sit. Y'all had packed out this place that day. The music, like today, was inspiring and, uh, and overwhelming. And I remember sitting through, uh, listening to that music, thinking, man, I hope they got somebody good to preach today. <laughs> and then realized that was supposed to be me. Um, I understood what Paul said here, coming in much weakness and in fear and trembling. I did that morning. There was much fear and trembling as I got up to speak that day. I didn't have the right experience, the right credentials to even be in the room that morning. But yet, in God's providence, he had led me to that moment and you as well. Well, I understood why it was that I might come in weakness and fear and trembling, but when I look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it, it really raises a question for me as to why Paul, the Apostle Paul, would feel that way. I mean, at this point in his ministry, the Apostle Paul has had, by all intensive purposes, a pretty outstanding ministry. He has 16 years of preaching and teaching behind him. He's got churches planted all over the Roman Empire, and he is, he is known, well-known, He's a man of great notoriety. At this stage in his career, he ought to be writing books and getting deals with publishers. And yet he says to the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling, and I decided that the only thing that I was going to hold up and know among you was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? When I read through here, that's the question that jumps out to me as I consider this particular passage. And to really grasp at the reason why, this morning we're going to, to dial back a few verses. That's why I want you to have your Bibles ready. If you don't have one, you'll find one in the pew right in front of you. If you don't own one, you, you are welcome to take that one home with you. But let's look at why it is that Paul would say he is a man coming in weakness and in fear and trembling. Why approach the Corinthians in that way? Well, we begin to see the answer as he talks about who the real winners are in this life. 
Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 22 through 24 and help you to see how he calls out the real winners. Verse 22. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. So to help you see this, what Paul is doing is he points to these two groups of people, the Jews and Greeks, that the Corinthians would have been familiar with. They were made up. This church was made up of Jews and Greeks. And so he, he reminds them the, the, the winners in their society and culture. He points to the Jews and says, okay, you Jews, you know who wins in your society and your way of thinking about what is good or excellent or best. The winners in your context are those who, who have power. They have religious power and social power and, and even political power. And he said, this, this is what it means to be a winner in your context, Jews, those who are able to grab hold of power and hold on to it. And he says, but to the Jews, they, they look at the cross of Christ, that instead of seeing a winner, they see a, a great loss, the Jews understood that the Messiah would come and would, would bring power back to the Jews and would establish them among the nations. And so the Messiah had to be one who would carry honor and status and recognition. But yet, when Paul comes preaching, he preaches a Messiah crucified. That is to say, a man who had been nailed to a tree was the Messiah they were supposed to follow. This was a stumbling block for the Jews. They couldn't get past this because the, the Old Testament had said that anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed by God. And, and this was just too much for them. How could Christ represent the power of God if, if on that cross it proved that he was cursed by God? And so the Jews said, we won't have anything to do with this Christ he, he doesn't hold up to our standard of what, re, what meets our standard of power. But Paul says, hey, you, you Greeks among your church, now you, you also have your own standard of winners. You've got, you've got those who stand out in your culture. And these are the, the wise. The, the Greek culture was built around that which was most wise. And there was constant debates about the most wise way of life, the, the good for them, was wisdom. And so Paul says to these, to these Greeks, he says, you, you Greeks, you, you also recognize that when you look at the cross, you don't see a winner there either. Because when the Greeks looked at the cross and they heard this message about a crucified Savior, that God himself would come and take on the sins of humanity, they, they thought, well, this is, this is foolishness. This can't be. We know now that, that your way of thinking is inferior because we Greeks, we know that the divine is separate from, free from, the trappings of physical life. That the way the Greeks understood wisdom was that what was really wise was able to fully escape all of the lesser things of this world. And so when they looked at the cross and they heard about a God who would come and become man, they said, that's ludicrous. It's foolishness. 
The real winners in this world are those who escape the flesh, not those who take it on, and so they rejected it. So Paul reminds them, he says, look, uh, you, you Corinthians, you people in this town, Jews and Greeks, in each of your context, there are clear winners, and we're not proclaiming that winner. In our context, we all come from different places around here. There are clear winners as well. We might not look to the politically powerful or the philosophically wise, but if you are around the, the university culture around here, there are clear winners in that context. You, you might know of the, the hierarchy. There is the administration and then the faculty and then the staff and then students. And the way to, to excel in this is to get greater and greater recognition. You get uh, greater degrees, more publications. This is the way to, to win in that particular context. We know about winners and losers in, in that context. But, but some of us don't live in that world. Maybe you live in, in kind of the downtown urban core. And, and winning looks very different in that context. It's not those who have the degrees or those who, uh, who are, are moving upward in the world. It's, it's those who can prove that they can take care of themselves and don't need anyone else. They have a kind of power on their own, physical power and, and social power, relational power. We, we know this in this context of living in a downtown city, that when you can take care of yourself and no one can hurt you, then you've really won. But for some of us, that's not our context either. Some of you live in the, the suburban kind of world where it's not about degrees or about power. It, it's about status. It's about what neighborhood you live in, what schools you send your kids to, what, what vehicle you drive, and, and specifically what, what manufacturer made the vehicle that you drive. We, we see in that context winners and losers and, and, and intuitively know, we know who the winners are. You see, it's not just the Jews and the Greeks who do this. This is a, a human reality that in our social context, we will stack up those who are winners and those who are losers. And, and intuitively, we know whether we're on the top end, in the middle, or on the bottom. This is how society works all over the world. It's not just us. This is all over human existence. But Paul says, look, the one who wins is not the one who, in their own context, manages to get out front. The one who wins is the one who is called. It's that word that we've seen before as Paul has worked through 1 Corinthians. It's an important word for him. And he's saying to his church, to these Corinthians, that's them, those people on the outside. That's how they determine who wins. But don't forget that for us on the inside, those who make up a family of faith, we might live in those contexts, but we don't evaluate winners and losers in that way. We evaluate winners based on those who are called, those who have heard the voice of God, who have responded to his grace and his mercy in Jesus these are the ones, as he says in verse 24, to whom Christ on the cross is God's power and is God's wisdom because to them 
the cross is bringing that salvation which they and we seek. So the first question that we start to think of, Paul is laying out a new way to evaluate winners and losers in the whole world. And he says, look, those who win are those who have heard the voice of God and are called. So here's the question that, that you might need to be thinking about today. As you're looking through 1 Corinthians and wrestling with what this means for you, the, the first question to be thinking about is, am I called? Has, has God called me? If that's what's going to determine who really wins, then it becomes a pretty important subject to make sure that you know the answer to. Have you responded to God's call? Is he even speaking to you now? How would you know? Well, here's just a, a thought to help you evaluate whether or not God is calling you right now or if, in fact, you have heard and responded to his call. You see, everyone whom God calls recognizes that even if they were to win in the eyes of the world around them in whatever context they live in, even if they were to win, it wouldn't be enough. There would still be a, a gap, a hole inside of them that no recognition, no status, no power could fulfill. Those who are called have recognized that calling when they begin to sense a need in them that nothing in this world can fill. It's a first sign that God is speaking to you. And if you find yourself today hearing that, don't dismiss it. It's true. No amount of success in these contexts will ever satisfy that longing in your heart. It will only come as you respond to God's call. And ultimately, you can know that you are called when you can examine your heart and you can say with full integrity, whatever wins I receive in this world, I'm ready to give them up. If only I could have Jesus Christ if only I could have the cross of Christ to define my success, I would give up all the other successes of this world. When your heart is there, you can know that you are responding to God's call. His whisper saying, there is more than this world can give you. And only I can fill you. So, are you among the called? Paul lays out and says, look, there are winners and losers in this world, but the ones who really win are the ones who are called. But then he turns, and, and almost in a, in a subtle kind of way, he, he begins to, to rebuke this Corinthians church. He, he begins to say, hey, if this is true of you, if you were called by God and that is really what winning looks like, then there is a, an implication for how you live your life that you need to resolve. And that's what he points to in verses 26 through 21. He raises the question for them of what trophy 
they are putting on display. Let me read it, and then I'll comment on it briefly. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Did you hear what he drove at? If, if you are called, then you may not boast. Now, boasting is something that we, are, we like to do. When I was growing up, uh, I had uh, two, two brothers, and there was somewhat of a competitive spirit among us. That might be an understatement. Uh, we were pretty fiercely competitive. Uh, I told Dr. Day earlier that until my older brother left the house, we really weren't friends. Uh, once he left, things got a little bit better. Uh, I remember being about 13 or 14, and I had one of those great moments uh, in my life where I was able to uh, prove to my brother that I was more successful than him. Here's how it went. I was uh, in my bedroom looking at all of the different trophies that I had, and I had ran out of space for them. And so my mom bought this nice big shelf that was going to go along the whole wall in my bedroom so that I could put all of my trophies on display. And so she hung it up there, and I put every single one of my trophies up there. And then I went into my brother's room across the hall and said, Hey, Kel, did you see what I got to put up on my wall? Where are your trophies, Kel? How come you don't have any more? Well, Kel did not appreciate that very much at all. Um, he pointed out that all of the trophies that he had, he got for actually winning. <laughs> not just for participating. I quickly turned around and decided not to pursue that anymore. Uh, I was going to boast in all those trophies, and he was right. Most of those trophies I got just for showing up, because I grew up in the time that that's how you were going to boost up a child's self-esteem, that win or lose, you get a trophy. And so I had a whole bunch of trophies like that. But they were not trophies that I still keep, because those clearly didn't show anything that I had actually done, other than playing. Well, what, what Paul says here is, look, you got to be careful what sort of trophy you hold up. Because when you, when you think about what Christ has done for us in the cross, and then you consider all the ways that this world uh, uh, celebrates winners, if, if you start celebrating the, the other wins, if you hold up your recognition, if you hold up your status, if you hold up your power, what, what you're doing is holding up a participation award. You just happen to show up on this planet at the right time in the right place. Because Paul says, look, the one who has accomplished something in this world, it's not you, it's Jesus. And he lists those accomplishments. He says, look, for those who are called, Christ is God's righteousness. 
That is to say that when, when Christ accomplished his work on the cross, what he did was to take his full righteousness and make it available to all who would come to him in faith and believe. He was granting a new position for those who are called. Previously, those who were, who were outside of God's favor and grace were under wrath. They were condemned. But when we are called and we respond in faith to Jesus, we are granted a new position. That is, that is we are pardoned before God. And the righteousness of Jesus is counted to our account, not by any merit or worth or, or good that we've brought, but simply because of the work of Christ. We're granted a new position. That's what righteousness means. And then Paul says, look, but Jesus wasn't done. It wasn't just enough that he would accomplish a new position for those who are called. He would also accomplish sanctification. And this is the, the ongoing process that works in the life of those who are called to make them more and more like Jesus. And Jesus would say that, that this happens not because of the, the efforts or the good intentions of those who are in his family, it happens because Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to work inside of us, accomplishing in us both the desire and the ability to live as Jesus lived. Jesus grants us a, a new power, a new transformed way of life that we call sanctification. And it wasn't because of how great we are or how moral and how strong we are. It is because of the power of his spirit at work in us. But perhaps the one that is most stunning is that third accomplishment of Jesus that, that Paul points to, redemption. To redeem was to, to buy back a, a slave or a servant, to pay the price in full. And, and that means that, that Jesus didn't just establish a new position for us, and he didn't just establish a new power for us in our lives. He established a new value for us. He stamped upon us a value saying, you are worth my own life. You, followers of Jesus, called out once. The value in your life is equal to that of the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. That's how much you're worth. Because that's what was sacrificed to redeem you from death into life, from slavery to sin, into a freedom to follow Jesus. And so, why in the world would we hold up a recognition, a degree, or, 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 or a publication, and say, this is what defines how good I am in this world? Why in the world would we hold up our, our power and our ability to influence and control others and to make sure our life is stable and, and the way we want it? Why would we hold that up? Why in the world would we hold up the status symbols that are valued in our culture around us? Why would we hold up those and boast 
in those things. When what Christ has accomplished for us, what he purchased for us, what he stamped on us was a value infinitely greater, infinitely greater than any of those other markers of value in our culture today or in any day. And so, when we think about what we boast in, what we build our sense of self upon, how we know that we are okay in this world, if it's not in the cross of Christ accomplishing our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption, we might as well be holding up participation trophies and saying, look how good I am. It's empty, and ultimately it's foolish because the real value, the real trophy to hold up is that bloody, ancient cross upon which the life of Jesus, our Savior, was spent, proving how much you are worth today. And so we come back around to Paul's words in chapter 2. And with those thoughts in mind, we can begin to assess again why it is that Paul would say, I came in weakness, with fear and trembling. I, I, I came determining that what was necessary was to only know Christ and to lift him up. Not, not, not my reputation, not my experience, and not my notoriety, but just Jesus. It makes more sense why Paul would say, this is what I came to found your faith upon. So here, again, starting in verse 4, Paul's words. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, what Paul wanted for that Corinthian church was for them to, to walk out into that world of, of Greeks and Jews and to, to face failure, to realize that they, they weren't winners, to face the scorn and the, the dismissal of the people in their culture. But he wanted, when they came to that moment, that they would be driven back to the cross of Christ to find their value and their worth. And he wanted, when they went out into that world of Greeks and Jews and business and education and neighbors and friendships, he wanted, when they went back out into that world and they won, they were clearly the best out there, the smartest out there, the most successful out there, the, the ones who were receiving status and glory. He wanted, when they had that experience, for them to run to the cross of Christ, to know that their value and their worth was secured there, not in the acclaim and the status of their culture. And that's what we've got to want to 
so that when we all head out from here, whether we head out as the victors or the failures, we can rest secure knowing that in the cross of Christ we are valued. So what is it that you're holding up as your trophy? Are you ready to go out there and even lose and yet still stand strong and confident and okay? Because at your core, you know that losers out there can still be winners before the cross of Christ because his victory has promised and assured victory to all who hear his call and respond in faith. So today, do you hear it? Do you hear him whispering, there's more. There's more than what's out there. Come to the cross and build your life there. That first Sunday that I preached here, I preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul holds up the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I looked at my notes this morning, and, and in those notes, I remember writing, Church, Columbus Avenue, your great legacy is not in your status, not in being a flagship church in Central Texas, and not in sending missionaries all over the world. Your great legacy is that you chose to be founded on the cross of Christ. And if there is a future for this church, it is in that foundation, the same foundation that the Corinthians were called to we are called to and can stand strong and secure regardless of what happens in this culture, in this world. And so let's stand on the cross of Jesus. Let's hold it at our core and center our lives there. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for being like feuding siblings, holding up participation awards instead of recognizing the true worth and value of what you've done for us at the cross through your son Jesus. Would you just, would you just drive away all of the boasting from us and would you teach us what it means to boast only in Christ and his accomplished work for us? Would you give us courage so that when we fail and when we win, that we would still run to Jesus and exalt him as having first place in our hearts? And would you build this church on that message of the cross? that which was foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling blocks to the Jews, would you cause it to be your wisdom and your power here among us? 
We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.